It's Good Friday Afternoon with Petra Begist on Newstalk ZB. I'm in love with your body. Yes, indeed. I'm in love with your body. It's so good to have your ears with us today, this Easter Friday. And uh, we're going to be talking on a theme that Ed Sheeran has just hinted at. And I guess I was thinking about Good Friday and I was thinking, oh, it's the day of death. It's the day we remember Jesus died on the cross. And it's the day we're all off school and off work, so we're simultaneously happy and sad. And so can I invite you over the next hour to hold the tension between some content that might be be a bit, okay, I think I'd rather not know this, and also content that might change the way you are looking at your young people, the young people in your lives, the people you care about, the people you love, the people who you want to do well in life. The topic that we're going to be talking about over the next hour is in fact pornography. And what I'd love to do is to bust some myths about porn because it's been around ad infinitum. It's been around for as long as I think um, humans have been around. But it has changed significantly over the past, I guess, well, since the since the advent of the smartphone and increased use of video. So what I'd love to do is to paint a picture, talk to some incredible people about what's going on and how we can look after our young people and guide them because it turns out pornography is not good for the brains, bodies and hearts of our young people. If you're in the car with children right now who are under the age of 12, truth is you may want to listen to this uh, on News Talk ZB On Demand. It'll be up there for the next seven days and you can listen at your leisure. Otherwise, feel free to join into another NZME station this Easter. Coast or the hits, or well, there's heaps of options. But for those of you who are brave enough, buckle in, because we have some things to talk about. We're going to talk about the science and the harm. Uh, so we're not talking about the right and wrong so much as what does pornography do to the minds, to the brains of young people. We're talking about the fact that at the moment, pornography, in the absence of other conversations, is the primary sex educator of our children. And uh, yeah, I would, I'd love to bust some myths, so I've got an incredible lineup of guests. And uh, the first one today is a woman who has been working with young people about issues that affect them for the last 24 years. She has got an incredible website called It's Time We Talked. And she's a documentary filmmaker. Uh, her films include Love and Sex in an Age of Pornography and The Porn Factor. She's an author um, of a whole incredible set of resources for schools called In the Picture and, in fact, has been invited into New Zealand high schools to start putting this program in place. She is coming to us uh, live from far-flung nations around the world because she's busy and in demand as a speaker working in America right now. Marie Crabb, joining us from Boston today, I hear. I am in Boston, yes. What's taken you there? Uh, I'm here to speak at a conference um, to deliver education about pornography and its impact on young people and uh, to run a training session as well. You're talking about pornography um, and the fact that it's changed, that what we think of as the magazine under somebody's bed wrapped in plastic is not what young people are facing today. What are young people out there dealing with? So I think in the first instance, it's important to understand how easily young people access pornography. It's incredibly pervasive. It's marketed aggressively online, which means that young people who aren't seeking it out are still seeing it. Uh, You know, when they're searching for something unrelated, a game can turn into pornography. Someone can send them a link. And we know that young people also... Uh, deliberately seeking porn. Um, it's natural and healthy for young people to be curious about sexuality. The problem is that if they 
search online uh, out of their, you know, curiosity about sexuality, then what they're going to see is is pornography. And you're right, the kind of pornography that young people are exposed to is a very long way from the centrefold that it used to be some decades ago. The kind of material young people see when they search online um, often includes very high rates of violence or an aggression, and that aggression is directed most commonly towards women. So a study of 50 of the most popular pornographic videos found, for example, that 88% of scenes included physical aggression and 48% of scenes included verbal aggression, and 94% of that aggression was directed towards women. I guess in in a marketplace in which, you know, it's such an enormous industry, producers are looking for an angle that will sell, and when we interviewed people in the industry, in the international pornography industry, what they told us really clearly is that violence sells or aggression sells, rough sex sells, and so they're looking for that angle that is going to sell for them. So what I'm hearing you saying is is that the porn that our young people are encountering at the moment is very aggressive. When I suggested that to my husband, because I took some of your statistics home, he said, no, I can't believe it. What do you say to adults who are like saying, I can't have changed that much? It can't be that aggressive, that violent. Why would young people keep watching it if it's violent and aggressive? Well, um, it's not just young people that are watching it, of course. The, the marketplace is, is for adults as well, and it's, it'll be adults that are largely the paying consumers that drive the, the marketplace. Um, and often what we see online is not... It, it's The response of the person that's being aggressed against is often positive, So a viewer might watch it and think, oh, she likes being treated that way, gagged, choked, spat on, you know, slapped. But actually it's it's not even clear that the people performing in it like to do that. When we interviewed performers, they talked about things hurting, about the expectation that they continue doing what what they're doing, even even though it might be really painful, even though it might be degrading or or dangerous. Um, But the future of their work depends on them being able to convey that they like what's, what's being done to them. This is difficult, isn't it? This is a difficult message. If the primary sex educator of our young people now, in the absence of other healthy conversations, is pornography, if that's the case, and we know that there's lots of it and that it's easy to get to, then young men are seeing, I guess young men and women, are seeing messages that suggest that all sorts of behaviours and and treatments of each other are okay and fun and enjoyable when in reality it's quite a different kettle of fish. Yeah, I think it is important to understand that young men, while young men and young women are exposed to pornography, young men are overwhelmingly more likely to be active and enthusiastic consumers. So pornography is shaping many young people's sexual understandings and experiences. It's not just fantasy that stays on the screen like one might hope of an action movie where, you know, you watch those wild car chases and the the shooting and whatever, and know that that's not really how we behave in real life. Something that's different about pornography, one is that it is... um, Young people are unlikely to have other counter-reference points, you know, so whereas they get in the car with mum or dad the next day after watching an action movie and they don't drive like they see in the movie... They're not seeing other people having sex and they probably haven't had sex themselves, many of them, you know, certainly before the age of 16. And they're very likely to have seen pornography before the age of 16. So they don't have those sort of counter-reference points. For the parent who wants to have a conversation with their child about about pornography, um, what reason does a parent say to a child? Why is it 
a bad idea to engage or to be sexually educated through watching porn? If the kid says, well, why is it such a big deal? I think there are a number of reasons. One is because pornography misrepresents reality. Um, its, Its portrayals of sexuality are so far from reality that it can be confusing for people watching it. Now, a young person might say, oh, I understand it's just acting and it's not reality. And then the next conversation, I think, is how our sexuality, like, you know, other tastes, are very malleable. So we can shape our tastes by what we see, what we what we do. A young person may, um, particularly if they're using pornography for sexual arousal, they might, over a period of time, um, actually shape their own sexual tastes in ways that they might even not like. One of the messages that we can give to young people is, is that it's possible to not use it. There's no biological kind of imperative to use pornography. Indeed, this is... These... In recent years, we've had the first generations of human beings to ever have access to a, a seemingly unlimited supply of high-definition, you know, um, moving sexual content like this. It's like a, a, we're conducting an experiment on whole sort of generations of guinea pigs of young people. Uh, it's not... Historically, I'm not saying there hasn't been pornography, but it's never been so accessible. There's never been so much of it, and it's not been in this kind, this format. And it is a valid choice to say, I don't want to consume this material. So, you know, it's about encouraging them to apply their ethics, their kind of ethical frameworks um, to the material that they might be wanting to consume. It's so so interesting you raise that point because I've I've decided I had to be brave and 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 stand up and say the word pornography to my son because I'm like, when do I introduce this conversation? And my son's are 10 and 11 and I'm aware, based on the research I've read, that accidental or unintentional um, exposure to pornography happens that young and younger. And so I had a conversation with my son. He's like, Mum, I, I don't want to see it. Um, I'm not interested in it. And I said, essentially... I understand that, but what I, what you need to be equipped to do is to say no if your friends invite you to, because there seems to be this group behaviour where a person who says, no, I don't want to watch porn, gets um, peer pressure applied to them, like what's wrong with them, why don't they want to do it, why won't they get involved? Yeah, I think that's right, and the sorts of skills we want them to develop are the same sorts of skills we want them to develop around a whole range of health and wellbeing issues that's around uh, getting out of challenging, difficult or unsafe situations, you know, developing skills to refuse, um, to, to communicate choices, to seek help, uh, and, you know, they are the same as in bullying circumstances or where there's pressure to consume alcohol or you know, a whole range of other issues. And do you have resources that people can go to, people can check out if they're wanting to have um, conversations about pornography with their children? Our website, at the time we talk.com, includes a number of parent tip sheets, seven parent tip sheets that people can download for free. We've produced two documentary films, which are also for sale on the resource um, on the website. Marie Crabbe, I hope your um, time in Boston is very fruitful, and thanks for speaking to us today. Very informative. Thanks, Petra. Thanks for having me. That was Marie Crabbe. Uh, she runs Risk and Reality Sex Education by Porn Workshops. She has bought them 
to New Zealand. Schools are beginning to, I guess, wake up to this idea. It is perhaps no coincidence that we're having uh, roastbusters and the issues at Wellington College we saw recently hit the news. If you're interested in finding out how to talk to young people in your life about pornography and sexuality, then visit her website. It's timewetalked.com.au. It's Good Friday Afternoon with Petra Begist on Newstalk ZB. So we've heard from, I guess, an Australian expert about what's happening in that side of the world. But that side of the world is very, very close to our side of the world. So we thought we'd just go and chat to some 14 to 17-year-old high school students in New Zealand and find out what is their experience of pornography at the moment. Where are we at here? Here are the boys. I think it's pretty normal, but I think it's increasing and increasing. 80 to 90% at my age age level. It just gets to the point where you become self-reliant on it. We can't function without it. Their brothers or sisters or whatever, cousins, start watching it and then they get into it. And now it's becoming normal throughout all age groups. It varies. Some of them maybe like um, three times every two weeks. Others once a day, once every two days. In some cases, for some people, it turns into an addiction. If you're talking about it with your friends and like your normal day, it's becoming a normal thing for you. I think since they're starting so early, it gives them the wrong first impression of what the act actually is and how girls actually are. Once you start watching it from a young age, it becomes real to you. When they actually get a girlfriend, they get a partner in like later in life, they're going to recreate what they saw in the video instead of actually having an intimate relationship with their partner. I think all of them would do it on a smaller device like a tablet or a phone. Keep it more private because if somebody walks in on you and it's on a big screen TV or on your PlayStation or something, it's not going to be the most comfortable situation for you or the person walking in. It gives you some like a little bit of a graphic idea to what sex can be like. It definitely like changes your viewpoint on everything. It's like now that you've seen this, you expect that some girl can come along and do this to you, whereas it's totally not like that. It's not right that if you do have a sexual partner that you have to keep going back to porn. If you're really struggling, I feel like you need to get help because it's eventually going to come back and bite you in the bum. So those were some, you know, 14 to 17-year-olds talking about where they and their friends are at and what they think, uh, I guess, pornography is setting their mates up for in the future, which is uh, not a good kind of a vibe. This is a very interesting conversation. It's definitely one that we need to have. Uh, I've got here some info that says, Hi, I'm 15. It's a quote from a young man and a porn addict since I was nine years old. I've realised this has had a serious impact on my life and I'm ready for it to be over with. Uh, So a man that is willing to stand up and have uncomfortable conversations, he has got in the ring. Uh, He is a kickboxer. He's a social activist. He was involved as a white ribbon ambassador and still is, I believe. He has been involved in rape prevention education. He's an all-round good guy. My hero and yours. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's too much. (laughs) Richie Hagor, social activist. What, What got you into this space? I know you've stood up and said violence in relationships, it doesn't work, stop doing it. Let's let's not be violent in our mm. intimate relationships. What role does pornography have to play in that story? I think pornography plays a really massive role in it shapes uh it shapes society in thinking that degradation and violence within sexuality is an okay thing. Uh I'm not saying that looking at porn will make you sexually violent, but there is a 
a huge body of research which which talks about that in that we've we've um we have sexualized violence we've you know made it erotic and we've sexy. made it erotic and sexy you know so so if we look so so to start the average age people start looking at porn these days is about 11 years old right and we we know through the research through um qualitative and quantitative studies that the vast majority 89% has of pornography has um uh, like verbal violence, you know, name calling, and then physical violence, you know, hair pulling, choking, slapping, aggression towards, aggression towards women. Mm-hmm. When young people, and then that extrapolates out to all people, are taking their cues from that sexualization of violent behavior, then we start seeing perhaps some of the problems that we we know are happening in society. Pornography is playing a part in part and parcel of that culture where sexual entitlement and women being lesser than, not equal to, um, uh, is commonplace. You know, like if you look at porn, it's subject, verb, object. The, the subjects, the, the people doing the actions are the men. You know, the, the verb is whatever aggressive sexual act you want, you can think of, and the object is the girl. Or, um, or the girls, and 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 then we wonder why Rosebuster happens. You know, we wonder why boys at Wellington College say if you're not taking advantage of a, of a drunk girl, then you're not a true WC boy. Well, they're just taking those cues from from online pornography, amongst other things. So for the young so, men who 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 are you're saying 11 years old is the average age we're hitting. Porn. Research says that's that, what yeah. research is saying. I, yeah. I've read it. Um, their first understanding, their first example or education of what sexuality is, yeah. is pornography. So then can we go, they are being influenced and framed and, and led down this road? Sure. 100%. You know, we, back in the day we had um, a big, we saw kids like suplexing one another and injuring one another from trying to replicate the wrestling moves they saw on TV. Again, I'm not saying cause and effect, but there's definitely a correlation. And then you add in the the, the neuropharmacological um, release of like dopamine and stuff like that, as well as the um, behavior cues that they're getting taught. Um, and it, it, it's a recipe for, for really bad sexual behavior and for people getting hurt physically and emotionally. So a couple of questions. What do you say to parents or adults who are literally squirming in their seats now? <laughs> Talk to your kids. And I think it's about overcoming your own discomfort and having a conversation that might have a positive impact for a lifetime. I'm not even saying don't look at porn. I'm saying porn is so ubiquitous now, your kids are going to counter it. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Everywhere. And, and Fully available any time of day. Any time of day. Masses of It's it. the most looked at thing on the internet. I mean, we could all be geniuses, like, using the internet to educate ourselves every single day, but most people use it for, I don't know, posting photos of their lunch and sexual gratification. So you need to talk to your kids and and give them the critical tools to understand what they're looking at. It's actually a health crisis, potentially. Potentially. I mean, I've talked in schools um, around healthy sexual relationships, and I've talked to educators, and anecdotally speaking, they've told me about um, teenage girls going to hospital with sex-related injuries because they're trying to recreate what their boyfriends are pressuring them to do. I've talked to educators about the boy who's got erectile dysfunction as a teenager because his teenage sexual experiences with a living, breathing, emotionally feeling human doesn't turn him on like the super stimulating stuff we're seeing on the, the internet. It's suggested that kids these days are perhaps more open to talk about it. So maybe it's us that we need to talk to. I went and talked to at um, a school in Wellington about two weeks ago, talked to a 
few hundred boys about about sex and porn and, and um, consent and rape culture quite quite explicitly. Hmm. And you know what they said to me? Thanks for being honest. They came up to me after the talks and like, thanks for being honest. Thanks for being straight up. To me, like, it's like, well, why wouldn't we be? Yeah. You know, like... You, so young people actually want to be treated. Like, they understand we, we, bigger concepts than, you know, just homework or whatever. Yeah. And, and that's sad. Like, I wish I didn't have to go and talk to 11 and 12-year-olds about rape culture. That's, like, profoundly sad to me. Kids don't get to be kids anymore. But you know what? We've made this world. Like, adults have made this. And so when we wonder why Wellington College boys or whatever it may be... Uh, uh, saying things like "f woman," like blatant misogynistic statements, it doesn't emerge out of like a black a hole, vacuum. a vacuum. That's learnt behaviour. Mm. You know, some older man or brother or film or music or pop culture influence has taught that child that mm. that's how we talk about women. Yeah, and we need to challenge that. Mm. And part of challenging that is giving them the critical tools to understand that pornography can be deeply unhealthy. Mm. Richie Hardcore, my hero and yours. <laughs> Thanks so much for speaking up on behalf of the blokes because you guys are an awesome lot and I know that the young men with a little bit of um, guidance would be I, – I just know they, these are good kids we're talking about and, and they are listening and hearing and feeding on stuff that is that is really setting them up for disaster and well, failure. Yeah, I, and, and, that, and that doesn't have to be that way. Actually, you know, quick plug. White Ribbon last year, um, White Ribbon New Zealand, we did – myself and um, Harinata, former all-white – we did just a quick um, few videos that we checked up on our website about some things you might want to talk to your son about, you know, some like broach the conversation because they'll appreciate it, you know, like overcome your awkwardness and think if I want to be a good father and role model good behavior. Have I, the uncomfortable Have the uncomfortable chats, yeah. you know, you're yeah. going to be setting your kid up and your kid's future lovers up for much healthier times than creating this, you know, the stream of lost hurt people. Yeah. Fantastic. Richard Hackle, thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, it's my pleasure. Thanks for, for the opportunity. It's Good Friday Afternoon with Petra Begist on Newstalk ZB. I hope your Good Friday is going well. And uh, there is a conundrum in the name Good Friday because at Easter, this is the day uh, that Jesus died on the cross. So not a great day for Jesus. In fact, Terrible, but in the seeds of the terrible was something incredible. So here I am going to pitch the idea to you that within good and bad, uh, they kind of they hold hands at times. So we've been talking for the past wee while about the effects of pornography on the minds of our young people, and and actually the science is in. It's very damaging, but sex is fantastic. So so that's the that's the holding of the good and the bad. Sex can be exciting and feel fantastic, and it can connect people and produce bonds and and express love, but it can also do incredible damage. Sex is quite personal. By and large, we do it in a room with our significant other, not with a bunch of spectators. And I remember telling our youngest son the birds and bees story. And he said, but mum, do people watch? And I'm like, no, baby. That was his biggest concern. No, nobody watches. It's just you and them. And actually, 
Uh, with pornography, though, that is not the case. There are so many people watching. And, and he, as a 10-year-old, kind of resonated with the fact that this was private. He just kind of instinctively knew it. this is a private act. And so here we are in this, in this age and space where um, there is so much pornography, 13,000 adult videos produced every single year uh, worth a total of $13 billion. Uh, Hollywood, by, you know, just by comparison, produced 507. So that is a big difference. So what is going on in the world out there? We uh, decided to, to ask one man about his story with pornography. So for me, it started uh, when I was age 10 or 11, and I'd just look at magazines around the house, like Women's Weekly and New Idea. By the time I was 14 or 15 years old, my friend and I found his older brother's stash of magazines, and I also saw porn um, on a computer at another friend's house as well. By the time I got to university, I got my own laptop, and I started to realise how bad the issue was, um, because at that point I really wanted to stop. Um, and sometimes I could go for up to a week, maybe a month, without watching. But other times it was every day and multiple times as well. Um, I started taking more and more risks, like looking at porn in the library. I thought marriage would clear it up for me. If I was having sex, it would be okay. But it, it really didn't. I was really ashamed of the fact that I was viewing pornography um, and didn't tell my wife. Um, around a year after that, I was away on a business trip and I slept with somebody else. And I just felt so ashamed felt really, really guilty that my addiction had grown to that. I still wanted to stop. Um, uh, when I came back to New Zealand, I did the same again, and I felt like I was at risk to do it again and again. And because of that, I knew that I had to tell my wife. Uh, a few months later, I told her everything. She was so angry. She was upset. She said that she felt like she didn't, couldn't tell who I was, like as if you know I'd portrayed a different person from who I really was. And I was so truly sorry. Even after that, um, when I was at my worst, I was still going back to view pornography. And at times, she would ask me how how I was doing. Had I had I viewed pornography? Um, and I would have I'd have to say yes, I, I have. In desperation, about nine months ago, I participated in a faith-based group um, to start to address the specific issue. And I haven't used since then. Even with that, I can tell I'm still in a recovery process. My relationship with my wife's got better, and by that I mean I'm communicating better, um, but also at the same time, I'm finding that porn porn must have been dulling my feelings out because I'm feeling more emotions now um, than I was before, like joy, um, but also pain as well. Um, so I'm having to work through that now. That's one man's journey with pornography and obviously ongoing. Uh, the idea that something that you're watching could change the way you experience the world, that it could, in essence, kind of anaesthetize your emotions, dull them down, not only uh, yeah, to other people but to yourself as well. Our next interview is a lovely lady called Melinda. She is heart and soul fighting, standing up and speaking out for women and girls. She is an advocate, author, speaker, media commentator and blogger. And the work that she's best known for is addressing sexualization, objectification, the harms of pornography and violence against women. Joining us now from Canberra, Melinda Tankard-Reese, so lovely to have you with us today. Recently, you wrote an article called Growing Up in Pornland. It's been read by a million people. Um, what is that article suggesting and why do you think it's got traction? Well, in that article, I brought together stories that girls were telling me everywhere I travelled 
all over the country. Girls were telling me stories about being pressured to send sexual images, even girls as young as 12 and 13. Girls were describing being sexually harassed every day at school. They were describing being groped in the schoolyard. They were telling me about boys pressuring them for sexual acts they didn't seek, want or enjoy. They were telling me what it was like to go to school and have your body judged and given a ranking on the basis of how it compared to porn stars. They were sick of it and they were wanting to speak out about it. So New Zealand um, has uh, gained itself the enviable position of being the fifth highest consumer of porn in the world per capita. Um, that's a horrible statistic. And and one a popular porn site I was reading has 64 million users a day. Average age is 18 to 24. But porn users, that age is dropping all the time. Um, how is porn related to what the behaviour that the girls you're talking about, the stories you're hearing, how is porn related to, to what the effects of what they're feeling? Boys are being socialised, moulded and conditioned by pornography, by the pornification of culture more broadly, the impact of highly sexualised imagery and messages everywhere they look. Our boys are learning that they have a sense of entitlement to the bodies of women and girls and girls are learning that they exist primarily as sexual service stations for men and boys. And this obviously makes respect-based relationships, healthy sexuality, healthy intimacy and authentic human connection impossible. And yet, you know, everyone is asking, why are boys not treating girls with respect? Are you kidding me? There is no mystery to this. When we look at the diet that we are feeding boys from the moment they are born, there is no surprise if they then act out in horrible ways to to women and girls. In Australia, we've seen a quadrupling of child-on-child sexual assault in only four years. Australian adolescents are now responsible for a fifth of all rapes of adult women and a half of all rapes of children. And, and we shouldn't be surprised by this. Yeah, no, those are those are horrific statistics. We are allowing 9, 10, 11-year-old children to view torture porn, rape porn. They think what they are seeing is normal. They think that women enjoy hardcore brutality and violence. In pornography, women love what is done to them. In pornography, no means yes. Pornography reinforces myths about women wanting to, secretly to be raped. This is what we are exposing our boys to, and then we're surprised when they act out. So we have to call things what they are. I mean, obviously there were a couple of cases um, recently in a college in Wellington mm. and, and another case simply known as Roastbusters here where um, mm. rape culture seemed to be uh, what was being encouraged, and yet the boys themselves were talking about um, having sex with inebriated or unconscious women, um, girls. They were some as young as 13. So there's this, mm. we have to call it like we see it, I guess. Yes. Well, it is rape culture, and it's certainly prevalent here in Australia as well. And we just had a high profile case uh, in the last month at a, an elite private school where a 15 year old boy raped a 15 year old girl. And it was filmed by the racist's 15-year-old mate and sent out all over social media. The girl didn't know because of the influence of alcohol that she had been sexually assaulted until she saw the footage herself uh, in the next day or two. But these are just the cases that we are hearing about. 
I'm hearing about these cases a lot more often than they're being reported in the media because girls are telling me. I have girls hear me speak. I had three only last week who said we didn't realise that this was sexual assault until we heard you speak. So for parents or adults listening now who are feeling uncomfortable and would rather change the channel, um, what do you say? What, what What do they need to do? Where do they start? Well, any parent that cares about their children and other people's children uh, shouldn't be changing the channel. It takes a village to raise a child. We need a whole of community approach. Uh, We need to act personally and we need to act politically. So obviously personally, having every filtering device possible, having the computer in a public place in the house, monitoring children's devices, having boundaries and rules around the use of mobile phones, particularly internet-enabled phones, Having a discussion about this, your child will see pornography. We can't pretend they won't. We don't want to make them feel uh, ashamed. Um, it's often unintended viewing. Uh, so we have to keep the channels of communication open. Showing what respect-based relationships look like, modelling healthy love and relationships within the family. There are a few starters, but then we need to act politically because it's too hard for parents on our own to control this. We need our governments and our regulatory bodies to step up to the plate, lobby your MPs, calling out advertisers, marketers, corporations who objectify women and sexualise girls to sell products and services, which of course is what my organisation Collective Shout does here in Australia, where we've supported some campaigns in New Zealand as well. Mm. So people can have a look at our website and get some ideas following the Porn Harm Kids campaign here as well and perhaps modelling that for New Zealand also. We'd be happy to work with anyone there that uh, wants to see some action on this. Linda Tankard-Reist, thanks for your time today. It's a pleasure, Petra. Thanks for your interest. To find out more, visit collectiveshout.org. Heaps of information there. I've got a piece of information. New Zealand currently ranked fifth in the world per capita in the amount of porn we watch. That is not a ladder I want to climb. Uh, Women, of course, are affected. Uh, The current stats are that 35% of New Zealand porn users are female, but sometimes the females are at the other end. They're at the end where the man in their life is watching porn. Have a listen to this. I met a really beautiful man. We were married about 11 years ago. And we also had our first child not long after we got married. And before her first birthday was when the disclosure came about his um, infidelity and his use of pornography, which was just completely unstabilised my world. I didn't know who or what I could turn to, um, who I could trust. You know, this person seemed like a complete stranger all of a sudden. And um, so kind of left very bare and left very isolated and very alone. So I think unlike other things where you've kind of got problems and you might be able to discuss them with friends, this is completely different. You feel there's such a big shame factor that's kind of involved here that you actually don't, um, you know, aren't able to speak as freely to friends and family that you would normally connect with on that level. The infidelity stopped overnight, but... The use of pornography continued on for probably the next eight, nine years. Um, So I think I started to get into the space of just being really a little bit fed up with the drag of of what was happening in my husband's situation and his story and really starting to question whether I wanted to be, you know, whether I wanted to continue being married. I think that, that question kind of 
has been a daily question that I've asked myself, um, you know, for probably, you know, since the time that I first, that he first disclosed his um, pornography, um, pornographic use. Um, he would go through a similar cycle all the time, you know, sometimes be okay and then back into it, big shame factor. There, there were a lot of habits, I guess, that I had started to form as a result of having gone through this trauma. I have an online support group. Um, I've got some other, other women that I've been able to share with quite openly and sort of have been able to, to speak some really good things into my space to be able to help me um, to, to kind of recover and, you know, and, and restore some of those areas that I guess had been lost through the experience of having gone through this trauma. You know, that, that um, question every day, you know, do I want to be part of this marriage? I guess um, where I had a question mark above that now, I guess I've got a tick. It's a yes. That is a good ending to that story. But let us think for a second. Somebody's entertainment viewing can impact their relationship enough for trust to be broken down, for trauma to be caused. That's a person talking about how uh, another person's viewing habits affected their life. They, they didn't know if they wanted to be in relationship anymore. This is more powerful than just pixels on a screen. We are now joined by the Auckland Grammar School headmaster, Tim O'Connor. You've taken a proactive approach, uh, one of the top Auckland boys schools, and you've introduced a healthy relationships program dealing with porn and consent. How did that come about? Uh, look, uh, Petra, we had some staff uh, attend uh, some of Marie Crabb's uh, seminars uh, and came back rather enthused that there was good alignment from what uh, Marie was saying to uh, our health, health education programs and how we could improve the health education programs. You are trailblazing, though, because to look at porn and consent within your healthy relationships program is saying this could this is part of our culture right now, and, and pretty much everybody is trying to wash their hands of the idea of porn. Uh, yeah, it's, look, it's reality. Uh, if we're to be honest, we all know that uh, our sons, daughters, our teenagers are spending a major portion of their day on digital devices. And whether they are deliberately accessing porn or accidentally, there's no doubt the statistics are telling us that they are ac- accessing it. An interesting fact for you, in 2001 there were around 70,000 adult websites, there are now 4.2 million. I guess that growth does suggest, just as the use, as you say, of, of handheld devices, that the, that the appetite for material has grown exponentially. It, it, that's right. It's so readily accessible that um, you're going to fall upon it. And um, whether you want to or not, you are going to fall upon it. We know the statistics telling us 90% of boys um, by age 12 years, three months, have access porn. Uh, we know 60% of girls have as well. So this is not a, uh, a boy-isolated issue. It's, it's a teenager issue and that we should front. And we should actually have honest conversations with our teenagers about the, the long-term um, addiction um, that can occur um, in this and what impact that has on their ability to develop healthy and respectful relationships. What's the response been from the pupils to the programme? Um, outstanding, actually. You know, the days of, of a playboy being, being hidden under a mattress um, and never spoken about, those days are gone. And I think there are a, a large number of young men who, are, who were alerted to say, holy hell, um, I have access porn and what is the potential harm for me uh, moving forward? And 
So what it did was it actually um, made it okay for boys to have conversations with each other about it. And it actually also started some conversations between uh, parents and boys, which, you know, they're quite awkward conversations to have. I agree. Um, so when it's been put out there by us as a school or by Marie as the presenter, um, the conversation start has begun. And how is your feeling going forward? Uh, how is your feeling about the landscape of porn and the young men that you are, I guess, leading out into adulthood? Um, well, look, we, we, we want them to be aware um, of the, the addictive nature of it um, in an online environment and what the content is online. Some of the content is very aggressive um, and it doesn't depict women um, in a light that uh, they would see in real life, that the, the difference between a pornography world and a real world, they, they get clouded judgment. So hopefully we're giving them the message messages repeatedly so that they can actually end up, by the time they are leaving our gates, that they can actually develop lifelong and respectful relationships, not only uh, for perhaps a potential girlfriend or a potential wife, but you know, for their mothers, their sisters and, and women in general. Auckland Grammar School Headmaster Tim O'Connor, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Petra. It's Petra Bagust on Newstalk ZB. There's a website in America called NoFap, N-O-F-A-P, and it's for people who are committed to not, uh, I guess, DIY love to pornography. So a young woman wrote a response to, to all of the efforts of the young men to support each other in healthy sexual relationships, and this is what she had to say. This generation's excessive use of internet porn terrifies me. The constant influx of new bodies, new kinks, new faces and breasts and buttocks flashing on screens in an unending search for perfection and an ever-hotter sex object freaks me out beyond belief. I know what a guy does in his own alone time isn't my business, but in the end, what scares me is this. I can't compete with that. I'm human. I'm one person. I can't be edited or cropped or only shown at my best angle. I have stubble and creases and blemishes and veins. I'm not tanned and oiled and lubed up and prancing around in a thong all day long. What I'm finding is that the young men I'm with, even the ones who claim I'm the most beautiful creature they've ever seen, and they do, aren't aroused by just me. I could get completely naked, sit on their laps and put my real hands on them and kiss them with real lips and I'm still second best. I can't be opened in five tabs as a brunette and a redhead with huge boobs or small ones or thinner or curvier than anyone else. I'm stationary, one being, and somehow that's not sexy. Quite a journey, the idea that an actual person uh, is secondary to what is an electronic idea. We decided we'd, yeah, visit a New Zealand high school and find out what 14 to 17-year-old girls thought about pornography. Everything is online these days and it's so accessible to just everyone. Once a guy goes and watches it and sees, you know, wow, they're doing that, that he's more encouraged to go and do it with his own girlfriend or try and do it with another girl, and but it's not realistic and it's sometimes not even safe. With boys, I think once one of them watches it, their whole group sort of is encouraged to look at it. Pornography is made from a chauvinistic point of view and it is made for the male eyes and it demeans women in, uh, you know, a lot of the time in a really horrible way that guys think that that is the norm. At high school, sex is just so common, like... 
a lot of people are doing it at our age and porn really probably isn't really considered a big deal for a bunch of kids. When you watch pornography, with guys especially, they're missing key components, like they're not seeing the consent take place. I think it influences male behaviour towards women in a really negative way because they just start to think that they can treat women however they want and they can get what they want without even having to ask. Since people start watching at such a young age, especially boys, it will influence how they think about relationships going into the future. So I had a friend who had a boyfriend and then suddenly he just sort of switched and started watching porn a lot and then he started putting those sort of expectations on her and being like hey let's be more adventurous because right now it's too boring like it's not exciting enough so you need to change how you're acting within our sex life which wasn't fair on her at all and she just felt kind of terrible about it. The girls sort of think they have to do these things that the boys are wanting they have to do these things that are shown in porn. That is the world our daughters are going into. So I'm so glad that you're with us for this conversation about the harm of pornography to our children and young people. We're joined now by Jo Robertson, a young woman who is completing her Master's in Sex Therapy through Sydney University. She's done postgraduate counselling at Auckland Uni. She's a wife and mum of two boys and worked on sexual health programs in high schools in New Zealand for seven years. Her research is into problematic sexual behaviour, pornography and sexual dysfunction. Jo Robertson, thanks so much for coming into the studio today. Your title, sex therapist, is a fantastic one because essentially pretty much everybody comes across sex at some stage in their lives, whether they talk about it or view it or do it. And so many of us are so bad at it, but nobody's actually talking about how to do it well. (laughs) And we have suggested today that pornography isn't a very good sex educator for young people. So you think you can lighten us up a bit? <laughs> Is there some good news? Well, for, for a start, have yep. you seen the effects of pornography on relationships when you've been um, had seen people in therapy? Yeah, huge effects. I mean, really heartbreaking stuff. Um, I was just with a couple recently, and they were having um, they were just having problems in their sex life, and it wasn't going that well, and they were having low desire, and, and anyway, we kind of went into their history a little bit more and discovered that there was this huge rift in trust. One partner had discovered the other's very regular pornography use and as a result felt completely violated, you know, and felt like, we didn't talk about this, we didn't agree to this, I didn't know that this is what you were doing in your private time. You know, she should be the only one who he saw naked. And, um, yeah, and it's just... It's just really sad to see because they're often young couples who, um, you know, are kind of in in new relationships where they should be enjoying each other and having a great time in that area of their lives. Um, But their trust gets broken. So why do you think, I mean, we're Kiwis and we're shy, we're this nocturnal flightless bird in part, you know, (laughs) as New Zealanders, we, we find it hard to talk to each other about our sexuality and sex. I mean, I think um, that young people are, are not as shy now. Um, and I think that that is just growing. But unfortunately, it's got some baggage attached to it as well. Unpack the baggage. Well, I think we need to see our young people um, in a really positive light. You know, I think it's easy to go, particularly with boys, like, that's gross. How are they doing that? And we kind of go into judgment mode. Um, but I actually just have a lot of empathy for them. They're in a really, really hard space where, you know, we've given them phones because who knew? that it was going to be a bad thing to give them a smartphone. Nobody knew that. And then we just expected them to have the wisdom to figure out what was going on on the internet. I mean, I don't know about you, Petra, but I've had lots of pop-ups. And, <laughs> and you know, I've, I've seen a lot that I didn't even click on, want to see. Um, and then we're asking 
you know, really 13-year-olds to try and navigate that themselves. To make wise decisions yeah. in the absence of conversation or totally. information. Yeah. So does keeping your children safe sexually start with digital device conversations, common sense things like have a time, like I've read, most yeah. porn is watched between 10pm and midnight yeah. by young teenage guys. So do you just yeah. say there's no homework that needs to be done between 11 and 12, turn off the Wi-Fi? I mean, is this is this draconian or is it sensible, common, good? I think you want to develop what, I mean, this is what me and my husband say. We've got two young boys and we say that we want to develop a family culture. So it's not just about your kids because we know as adults that we're vulnerable too. It's not just about our teenagers. You know, like I said, I've seen pop-ups too and I know that my husband will have. And, you know, so we develop a, a family culture, you know, phone stay in public spaces or when when you're going to be sitting on your laptop for two hours at a time, which sometimes we are working, et cetera, you do that in the lounge and not in your bedroom. Um, we keep doors open. You know, I think um, in the future with um, growing boys, you know, I'll pop in spontaneously into their room. Um, so it's not like it has to be really rigid, but it's a whole family approach to something that we're all vulnerable to. Number one danger for young people in, in consuming regularly pornography? Um, well, from a health perspective, they really impact um, their libido, their sex drive. You know, we're seeing increasing rates of erectile dysfunction in young men. Um, so just purely from health, that's a real danger. Um, you know, one of the things I say to teenagers is you want to look after your sex drive. You know, they tend to care about their future sex life. They really want it to be good and they really want it to be pleasurable. And when you say, actually... When you're consuming that much pornography, you're putting that at risk, then they care. If a parent goes, gosh, this is just, um, I didn't think my kid was watching pornography, yeah. and now I've started to ask questions, and it turns out they are. I'm not sure what to do next or what conversation to have. Is there anywhere where people can go for information? Yeah, there's a group called the Safe Network, and um, you can actually just call them as a caregiver, a, you know, a teacher, a counsellor, anything, and just ask about what you've seen in your young person or what you've heard they're doing. And they can give you a perspective around if you're kind of going to need some, some further help, some further attention or some tools to chat with them. Um, also, you can talk to therapists. So you could, you know, come along to me and you could say, what do you think? Um, what's going on? What can I say? We can have a, a more detailed conversation about your particular family um, context. Are you feeling like kids are going to just be okay and we can just carry on as we are? Or do you reckon that this kind of conversation that we've had over the past hour is of any value? Oh, I feel so much hope. You know, a year ago, if you had asked me that same question when I'd started to look at the research and see what was happening with our young people, I would have gone, it's just like a black pool. Like, it's awful. It's bad. I just can't believe it. Now, given the amount of talking that's happening um, in this space, I just feel like in five years, the landscape is going to look different and in 10 years will be entirely different. I think that we're just realizing at the moment, you know, if I think about 2016, it was a whole bunch of adults and groups realising what's going on. And that's great. That's step one. Step two, what do we do about it? Step three, we're going to see change. I just feel lots of hope about it. Joe Robertson, sex therapist. I feel better already. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Petra. It's Petra Vegas.
on Newstalk ZB. So why are we having this conversation about pornography on Good Friday and Easter holiday? Well, I guess partly it's because we care. We know that the landscape of pornography has changed and it's almost unrecognisable to adults. So this is a crunchy, hard conversation, but we must be committed to talk to our young people about what they want for their sex lives, what they want for their future relationships, and I guess to have difficult conversations for people who who are struggling right now. Interestingly enough, there's a church in Los Angeles called Triple X Church, and they put out a Bible with a cover on it that said, Jesus loves porn stars. You can imagine that got a a reaction. It's pretty provocative, but of course, it's true. Uh, Jesus does love porn stars, and he loves, I guess, every single person. There's this idea that Jesus loves the porn addict and the porn producer and the drug user and the alcoholic and the accountant, the nanny, the doctor, the patient, the person who medicates their pain with a palm full of pills and the person who medicates with hours on the treadmill. He loves the president of a country, the president of the PTA, the outspoken atheist, the unspoken believer, the experienced and the virgin, the one whose life is on display for all to see, who has it all and then some, the one whose life is hidden in a corner, who guards their heart against the pain. Truth be told, no matter who we are, we can all use a little bit more love. And Jesus has a lot of it. And that's what we mean when we say... Jesus loves porn stars. So a lot of people want to preach about rules and about behavior, and they want to tell you you have to behave a certain way, look a certain way, act a certain way, become a certain person in order to hang out with Jesus. But actually, that isn't true because Jesus' love for us, for you, for me, changes never. It never changes. It never falters. It basically is an absolute. He loves us just because he does. And so I guess... I'm inviting you to be curious, just like your young people will be curious about their sexuality, to be curious about uh, your own responses to how they are going to enter the next chapter of their lives and to be brave with them and to have potentially uncomfortable or awkward conversations in the hope that they will become wonderful young men and women who lead constructive, life-giving relationships and contribute to their communities. And yeah, I guess I'm looking for uh, to protect my own children from lots of the potential pain out there. And, it, and it's not the children's fault. They haven't created this industry. They haven't asked, I mean, they've asked for smartphones, but they haven't asked for access to um, to violent, offensive, degrading material. That is just uh, something that's come along with these incredible devices that have changed the way we live. So Happy Easter. I hope your Good Friday is a great one. And yeah, just I, I encourage you to make use of the resources and references that we've, uh, you know, talked about today and to be safe and to have crunchy conversations. God bless. This Easter program has been made with the support of NZ On Air. We could change this whole world with a piano, add a bass, some guitar, grab a beat, and away we go. I'm just a boy with a one-man show. No university, no degree below. No, everybody's talking about exponential growth and the stock market crashing in their portfolios. Well, I'll be sitting here with a song that I wrote, saying love could change the world in a moment. But what do I know? Can change the world in a moment, but what do I know? Love can change the world in a moment. I'll paint the picture, let me set the scene. You know, the future's in the hands of you. And
so let's all get together. We can all be free, spread love and understanding, positivity. We could change this whole world with a piano, add a bass and guitar, grab a beat, and away we go. I'm just a boy with a one-man show. No university, no degree below. No, everybody's talking about exponential growth and the stock market crashing in their portfolios. Well, I'll be sitting here with a song that I wrote, saying love could change the world in a moment. But what do I know? Love can change the world in a moment, but what do I know?